You are listening to This World of Humans, a science podcast focusing on the interface of biology and social science, coming to you from the podcast recording studio at John Jay College in New York City. For more information about today's topic, visit visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H. Hello, you are listening to This World of Humans. I'm your host, Nathan Lentz. Your producer is Sam Anderson. And today we're going to talk about family relationships and how they help us survive, thrive, and live longer. Okay, we need to pause here for a second. Before we start, I need to say that this interview was recorded several weeks before Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. Now, Cayo Santiago, the site of the research facility you're about to hear about uh, that does all this amazing work with these rhesus macaques, uh, was not spared from destruction. So please stay tuned to the end of the podcast and you can hear about ways you can help. The study we're going to discuss today is from the field of primatology. Sam, do you know what primatology is? Yeah, it's the study of primates, right? That's right, the study of primates, which are a group of animals including monkeys and lemurs, gibbons, and of course, the apes, which includes us. We are primates. Uh, primatology is an interesting field because it sort of has two flavors to it. There is the pure zoology side of primatology, which is just about studying primates for their own sake, on their own terms. Uh, but there's also the anthropology side of primatology, which is the study of primates as a lens for understanding humans. Uh, and that's the kind of primatology we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the study we're going to discuss today is about rhesus macaques, which is a species of old world monkey. Uh, that means they are native to the Old World, meaning Africa or Asia, while New World monkeys are native to the Americas. Don't we usually think of Europe as the Old World? Uh, yeah, we do, but um, there are actually no monkeys that live in Europe. No monkeys are native uh, to Europe. Uh, and in fact, until very recently, there were no primates uh, in Europe at all outside of zoos uh, besides humans. Um, but this changed recently when Barbary macaques started m uh, migrating to Gibraltar from Morocco uh, on boats. Uh, and now there's actually a small community of these monkeys that are thriving there in southern Spain. Uh, but that, that's a story for another day. Uh, today we're going to talk about a large community of rhesus macaques living on the island of Cayo Santiago off the coast of Puerto Rico. Wait a minute, is Puerto Rico also old world? <laughs> no, so that's a, that was actually my first question. So how does a group of old world monkeys end up on an island in the Caribbean off the coast of Puerto Rico? That's the first question I had for, for the author. So joining us today, we have Angelina Ruiz Lambides and Lauren Brent, uh, two authors on a recent paper entitled Family Network Size and Survival Across the Lifespan of Female Macaques. Hello, Dr. Ruiz. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Same to you, Dr. Brent. We're so glad that you could join us in this conversation. Oh, thanks. And we have a international conversation today. That's right. Uh, Dr. Ruiz is joining us from the University of Puerto Rico, and Dr. Brent is joining us from the uh, University of Exeter in the UK. So this is uh, quite a complicated uh, Skype call that we have going on, but we're glad that you guys could join us. Thank you. So, Dr. Rees, I want to start with you, since you are at the University of Puerto Rico. Uh, Sam and I were talking, how do, you, how do you get a group of old-world monkeys ending up on an island in the Caribbean? Well, um, well, Cayo Santiago was founded in 1938, and Dr. Carpenter, who was hired at that time by the grant from Marco Foundation of Columbia University, actually, um, was hired to establish a colony of like disease-free rhesus macaques that could be utilized at that point in time for medical research as World War II approach, right? And the supply of research animals from India was actually threatened to be cut off. So these monkeys were trapped 
from 12 districts around northern India, um, city of uh, Lucknow, and then shipped out of Calcutta via New York City to San Juan on by boat. So it was quite a ride for these. Actually, it was 409 macaques at that time that were shipped. So, so this is a intentionally created community of rhesus monkeys, uh, specifically for research. Yes. Yeah, so now they, the macaques, obviously, until they organized themselves in different, you know, and established their hierarchies you know, various animals did pass, but then now they have thrived and we have a population of 1,500 approximately macaques living in among six social groups on a 38-acre island off the southeast coast of Puerto Rico. Okay, so uh, Dr. Reese, tell me about the Caribbean Primate Research Center. What exactly goes on there? So specifically at Cayo Santiago, we do behavioral research. We have collected demographics, so any, everything from birth, death, migrations, um, systematically since 1956. And so we know his life histories for over 11,000 animals that we have in our database. Wow. Yes, exactly. So we have, um, at the moment, we have um, also complemented that extensive demographic database with DNA profiles of the monkeys. Um, and we have for actually, I believe, close to 5,000 animals we have genotyped so far, mostly for parentage um, determination. So mother confirmation, because we have a census done daily on the island. So every month a census is generated for the investigators. And then we confirm mother, and then we designate the father of the individuals. So this sounds like a lot of work. How many employees are, uh, are at the center? Well, we have at the moment, we have four census taker, and they know pretty much the entire population. Um, once a year, we do trap animals so that we can tattoo the infants, the yearlings, I'm sorry, and then we... we then at that moment, the researchers get the possibility to collect um, physiological samples. But throughout the year, it's it's totally hands off. It's only behavioral observations done on the animals. Wait, hold. Did you say you tattoo the infants? Right. We have to tattoo the <laughs> infants and give. Them what is the What is the tattoo? What do you tattoo on them? Well, it started um, with a three code. So let's say, um, I don't know. Like let's say, for example, a T eighty five, and then. Um, now we're up to um, various codes and different combinations. So it's like a social security type of number for each huh. individual. It's not repeated. And this is what helps the census team to identify them. And then also the researchers are able to identify them. Okay. So I want to talk about this specific study. And uh, Dr. Brent, let me ask you, the first question I have is how do you determine the number and strength of social relationships in a species like rhesus macaques? Uh, well, there, there are a few different ways you might go about doing that. One way might be to go out and to observe your subjects, your study subjects, and uh, take note of who they're interacting with and how often and what types of interactions they're engaging in. And, and from that, you could, you could build a social network based on their actual interactions. Um, but in this study, that I, I didn't do that. I did something slightly different. Um, and I took advantage of the fact that we already know because of places like Cayo Santiago, rhesus macaques are incredibly well known um, in terms of their social behavior. So I took advantage of the fact that we already knew that, that female rhesus macaques preferentially 
interact with their close relatives to then tap into the, the wonderful long-term database that we have at the site um, and to basically say, well, I know that if you have a close relative, you're going to interact with that relative a lot. So what I can do is I can go back into our long-term data and I can count how many close relatives each female had. And I can use that as, a, as an approximation uh, for the strength of their social relationships and how integrated they are in society. And so you said that they have a strong uh, affinity for, for kin rather than non-kin when they form these relationships. I think uh, the word for that is nepotistic, and I think most old world monkeys have that. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, rhesus macaques are particularly nepotistic amongst the macaca clade, but, but most circopithecines or old world monkeys show some level, the females at least, show some level of um, kin preferences. So how do they know? I mean, the they uh, the, I, I, obviously you might know who your mother is because you you would have been reared by that by that individual. But uh, how do you necessarily know who your female cousins are and even who your siblings are? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I mean, partly it's based on familiarity. Um, so just like the fact that you know who your mother is because you spend a lot of time with her, she nurses you. Um, but there's there are huge amounts of generational overlap. So you'll you'll overlap in time with your female sisters. So you'll you'll you can also figure out who they are based on their association with your mother. You might also have your grandmother alive in the group, and you might be able to figure out roughly who she is based on her association with your mother, um, and so on. The same with your your mother's siblings, and therefore. Um, your cousins also. You might be able to build a picture of that simply based on the fact that these females are associating with each other primarily to begin with because of lactational needs, um, but then on into the future as, as they age into adulthood uh, simply because of this nepotism. So it's sort of a, a bit of a circular thing, but there doesn't really need to be any complicated mechanism behind it. Right, right, right. Uh, what do we know about how these relationships actually help the macaques? Because this study looked at survival uh, and how, how relationships help them survive. So what's the mechanism there? How do relationships help them in their daily lives? Yeah, so like many old world monkeys um, and, and great apes also, uh, adults form coalitions. And one of the main ways that they, they cope with challenges that they face in their quite complicated social worlds is, is through the formation of, of coalitions. And in particular, old world monkey females do this, right? So they live with their kin, they form coalitions with their kin. And coalitions in particular, what a coalition is, I should explain, is that two individuals or more gang up to target a third individual. So imagine you're a female there's a mild amount of sexual dimorphism. So males are slightly bigger than females um, and face a lot of harassment from males during the mating season. Uh, so males are more aggressive towards them during the mating season, all in this competitive world of trying to obtain um, the best mate at the best time. So things can get quite hairy in the mating season for females. And what they do, one of the ways they can cope with this and avoid aggression, um, or certainly dampen aggression from males is to form coalitions with each other. So, so a male will be aggressive towards a female and you'll, you can see it in the field happen before your eyes. One of her sisters or her mother or her cousin will run over and the two of them will start threatening, you know, lunging at this male to basically, sometimes <laughs> they'll chase him away to just make him leave that female alone. That's amazing. Yeah. So this is something that they do all the time and it's really important to their social structure as it is to baboons and all the other macaque species. Okay, so I guess one of the most surprising findings in this study 
was was not so much that the relationships help the individual survive that that was that's been found in other species and and certainly been found in humans but the surprising part was that it didn't seem to matter as the as the macaques got older and we've seen in humans of course that social relationships become very important older in life uh, but this wasn't so much true with the macaques. What uh, do I have that right? First of all, yeah, right. I think that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So, what were the ideas about that? Let me start with you, Dr. Ruiz. What is the thinking on why older female macaques don't seem to rely on the strength of their social relationships to survive? Well, it 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 may just seriously just come down to the you know the experience already gained in life and the social skills that those females have that it just definitely does not. They don't have to rely so much on their uh, on their relatives or on their peers, right? To 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 get by in life. So I think that Lauren can add more to that. If you look at the two main behaviors that macaques engage in are, are grooming. They groom each other to remove you know dirt and parasites from their skin, and they're very aggressive to each other. They're a despotic, nepotistic society. So lots of aggression between males and females, but also between females, females. Uh, pairings. So I looked at those two behaviors, and and what we see is that basically the two things. Therefore, you can let me back up a second. You can do two things with grooming and aggression. You can give it, and you can also receive it. And if you were a macaque, the two things you probably wouldn't want to do very much of are give grooming to others because it you know takes up your time. You could be otherwise feeding or sleeping or doing other stuff. And you also probably don't want to receive very much aggression because it's not very nice, it can cause you injury, it can ultimately lead to your death. Uh, whereas receiving grooming is quite nice and giving grooming or giving aggression, sorry, um, might also be quite nice if, if this is a measure of sort of political clout status, you know, access to resources as we know that it is in old world monkeys. Um, and that's basically those two opposition opposing things are exactly what the older females are doing. So they are still receiving just as much grooming as younger females. They're still uh, giving just as much aggression as younger females, but what they're not doing is they're not giving very much grooming and they're not receiving very much aggression. So they seem to be avoiding the two things you probably don't really want to do if you're a rhesus macaque. Um, and that potentially is because they have just learned how to avoid to do those things with experience. And how old do rhesus macaques get? Like what, when you talk about an old rhesus macaque, how, how old is that? You could have 20, 25, 27 year olds. Um, I, we've had 30 something year olds as well at Cayo Santiago. Yeah. The oldest female in the data set is 31. And, uh, yeah. but she's, she's rare. And these monkeys do not uh, become menopausal, correct? They, they would uh, reproduce all the way to the end. No. They show a little bit of reproductive senescence, so their yeah. rate of reproduction tails off as they age, but no, they, they keep breeding until until they die, like just like most mammals. And I was wondering, uh, speaking of menopause, I, I, remember, I read a study recently about uh, menopause in some whale species, how older females become sort of the reservoir of knowledge, of social knowledge for the group about where to where best to hunt, um, how the easiest migration uh, route. Uh, they have a lot of sort of social knowledge that uh, puts them in a very special position in the group, even though they're no longer reproductive. Um, and a lot of people are seeing a very strong parallel to menopause in humans about how you have sort of the elderly matriarch who has all of the family stories, all of the history, all of the 
Um, and, and of course, the benefit that that has to her kin is obvious because she can help her children and her children's children uh, survive and thrive and so on. Um, this doesn't seem quite like that. It seems almost the opposite where these macaques might be going in a different direction as they get older in terms of disengaging socially. Is it, Do I have that right? It's not that our result in the macaques precludes these older females from helping their younger relatives. It doesn't at all. It just, it just says that they're not using that help themselves to cope with the social world. So they might be, and probably are, uh, be supporting their younger relatives, so supporting their daughter and their granddaughters and, and, and so on when they get into fights and, and, and the like. And they are still giving some amount of grooming. It's not like they, they don't do these things at all. Um, but it just seems to be that in terms of their survival outcome, they're not tapping in to helping um, or to the help that they might receive from from their close family. So that's kind of a where the distinction lies. Were you surprised by these findings? I mean, at first it seems interesting that they would their behavior would change and they would be like less social when they were older, right? You can think of like yeah. my grandma might be less social than my sister. Yeah. Well, it's it's I'm not I don't I'm not surprised about the see no, get the results of the older females because you do see you're in the field and you can just anecdotally say, well, this female's insane. What is she doing? She's just, you know, acting just different, you know, like, or, or for example, I, I, I've seen, I can tell you that I've observed older females, for example, walking into a feeding corral when there is a totally different social group feeding in it. Like there's just different behaviors that you see in the older females that you would never see the younger individuals doing even you know, from from a lower rank, for example, seeing a, a, fee, a lower ranking female walking into a different a corral with another social group, which, you know, it, she would get attacked. It's kind of like how an old person might say something ridiculous <laughs> and not care about the consequences. Yeah. I don't know, Lauren, have you had an experience just looking at, at females in the field and, and trying to, to grasp or trying to explain this to yourself without for you 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 have the data but for me that necessarily not collecting that exact data and I see that these instances like this and we just stare at each other in the field like whoa this is such a bad choice but yeah yeah I mean it's almost if you think about it in terms of decision making and the fact that these females have lived longer so they've just seen more they've experienced more maybe they just have figured out you know even if something bad happens Based on my experience, the likelihood of that happening is really low, for one, uh, and the range of things that are going to happen, you know, it's not that bad what might happen to me. So I, th I think that's a potentially really nice explanation for these, these differences in these old females is that their view of the world is just has been informed by their experience. And so they behave slightly differently um, in a way that we might think is risky, but actually um, their little Bayesian updating decision maker tells them isn't really all that bad in terms of in terms of risk. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Ruiz from the University of Puerto Rico and Dr. Brent from the University of Exeter. It's been a pleasure having you on our show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, this has been This World of Humans, recording at John Jay College of the City University of New York. I'm your host, Nathan Lentz. I'm Sam Anderson, your producer. Okay, before we go, I want to add a little note here. Uh, as I said earlier, this interview was recorded well before Hurricane Maria. Uh, and since that time, Cayo Santiago, like the rest of Puerto Rico, uh, has been devastated and could really use your help with the rebuilding efforts. Here at This World of Humans, we urge you to consider donating or donating again 
to the relief and rebuilding efforts in Puerto Rico. And if you would like to specifically help the research center at Cayo Santiago, please just find them at the web by Googling Caribbean Primate Research Center, and you'll find websites where you can help and you can donate to their rebuilding efforts. This has been another episode of This World of Humans, a podcast and science education initiative currently funded by John Jay College, the City University of New York, and Vision Learning. For science educators, don't forget to check out our website for a wealth of resources to help integrate this episode and its featured article into your science classroom. Find us at visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H.